Welcome to Asante Church. My name is Alex Dennis. I have the honor to be lead pastor here. And I just want to say, man, it's been an awesome Sunday morning worshiping our risen King. It's been awesome to see all the new families that God has brought our way. And uh, if it is your first time this morning, I just want to say welcome. If it is your 50th, 60th time here at Asante Church, I want to say welcome back. I'm excited to dig into John 21 with you today, but before we get into anything else, I want to share some of the greatest news in the universe with you, and that's that Jesus is risen. Our King is risen. Absolutely. We can be excited about that. Every single morning we wake up, our King is not in the grave. He was buried, he was crucified, dead and buried, and on the third day, he rose. And after he rose, he appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden. She thought he was the gardener. And there in the garden, Jesus comforted her. He was there for her. He appears to the disciples two times before where we meet up with him and the disciples today on the beach. And it's there that he breathes the Holy Spirit into them. He appears to Thomas. And Thomas doubts that this is the resurrection this is the resurrected king. He thinks this must be a ghost. This must be some kind of a spirit. And Jesus shows him. lets him touch the holes in his hands, the hole in his side. And Thomas is provided with proof. And Thomas and his doubt, they fade away. And he believes. And then today we dive into something we don't often talk about, we don't often hear about. See, we talk about the Last Supper of Jesus time and time again within church. We gather together Friday night to take place and to celebrate together and to take part in the ordinance of communion. And we always look to the Last Supper. We always look to Jesus on the cross every time we meet. But this morning, we are diving into the Last Breakfast. That sounds like something a little hobbit would say. <laughs> But today, we look at the last breakfast with Jesus and his disciples. We are in John chapter 21, verses 1 through 2. We dive in to this beautiful chapter. And it says, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. At first glance, at first read, first take here, this doesn't seem like anything super significant. It just seems like a bunch of guys hanging out. It makes sense. This is in character for them. They just hung out for three years. Why wouldn't they still be together on the beach this morning? Well, let's take a look at who was there. We have Simon Peter. We have Thomas. We have Nathaniel. We have John. We have James. We have Disciple 1, Disciple 2. I don't know why John didn't name them. It's not like he forgot their names. We got thing one and thing two over here, hanging out with Jesus. These men should not have been together. These were divided times. These times were much more divided than even we would say our times are today. They were divided by geography, where you lived, what your turf was, where you came from. They were divided by name. They were divided by family. They were divided by social order where they ranked in society. They were divided by religious beliefs, and worst of all, they were divided by religious politics. And they were divided by gender. So now we know who was at the scene. We don't know why this is out of the ordinary yet. 
So we have to look into who these men are, dive deeper into the context of the scripture. We have Peter. Peter just chopped a guy's ear off. Peter does first and then thinks if he needs to. He doesn't always even do that. Peter, a fisherman, a blue collar type of guy. We have Nathaniel, highly educated, possibly royalty, a white collar guy. We have Thomas, the thinker, the processor, the rational minded one, the one that balances out all of Peter's goofiness. Every Peter needs a Thomas, but if you're Thomas in here, I think you need a Peter in your life as well. Then we have Simon the Zealot, a political guy, the guy that would have checked Fox News on his phone before he went out to the beach that day, a guy that has a red hat with white letters on it that says, make Jerusalem great again. (laughs) You know the type. You might be the type. Simon was a zealot, and being a zealot meant that you were a religious extremist. You were opposed to Roman rule in Jerusalem. What a zealot would do was conceal a knife in their garment, in their tunic, and then they'd go into a busy part of the square. They would walk up behind a Roman guard, a Roman official. They'd stab him in the back a bunch of times. They would conceal the weapon, and they would walk away. Why? Because Rome had no business being in Jerusalem, and they wanted to get rid of them, and they were ready to take it back by force. And then you have Matthew, the worst of all, a tax collector. You can laugh at that. It's tax season, or it just was. Some of you are like, I like the tax collectors. They send me money. Well, Matthew wouldn't have. He would have said, you're getting this much back? Now you owe $300, okay? Matthew worked for Rome, and so that means he went against his own people, and he worked for the enemy. The people in Rome, Rome knew exactly how much taxes were owed from the people. Matthew would get that number. He would say, okay, you owe Rome this much. But before he would communicate what that number was, he would up the ante. He would say, actually, you owe this much because he wasn't going to cheat Rome. If he cheats Rome, Rome was going to kill him. So he's just going to add to that amount and he's going to pad and line his own pockets. A friend to the enemy, an enemy to his people. He cheated others so that his life could be more comfortable. And so we ask the question now, why were these men gathered? It doesn't make sense. Outside of Jesus, it certainly doesn't make sense. They're too different. They never would have spent time on a beach after the death of Jesus, if that's where things ended. But we see that these men, these disciples, were united in the life and in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus. Being united in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus meant they were no longer who they used to be. They no longer identified as who they were before Jesus. Now, now it was about who they were in Jesus. Jesus didn't stay dead. That tomb was borrowed, and now it is empty, and it was empty then. Their identity is placed in Jesus and what he does on the cross for them. Realizing they were once sinners. Now, they are made clean by the work of Jesus on the cross and his victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy in his resurrection. They were united in Jesus and his work They were also united in Jesus in his purpose. You see, these men were about to be sent out 
with the good news of Jesus. These men were going to share the gospel with the world to reach people that were similar to them, but also to reach people that were much different than them. As a church, how do we obtain unity? As a church, how do we maintain unity? I think unity is always something we can fake until we make in a season. I think we've seen that in the past couple of decades, but eventually it fades. How do we hold on to unity in Jesus? First and foremost, we have to stay true to Jesus. We have to go to Jesus daily to be filled up, but to be clean, to be forgiven of our sin. We have to follow God's word. We have to follow God's will in our lives. How do we know God's will? We read God's word. God's will will never contradict his word. And if we're going to obtain unity, if we're going to maintain unity in the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to kill our preferences. We need to be done with the things that we want to see done. We need to be done with the way we want things to be. We need to realize that there is something bigger at stake here. We need to realize it is not about us. It is about those who have yet to come into relationship with Jesus. And if it means laying down our preferences so that things can be a little bit more preferential to them, so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can enter into right relationship with God through the forgiveness of their sins by Jesus' work on the cross and in his resurrection, then we need to be willing to lay down our pride. We need to be willing to lay down our preferences so that others can come to know Jesus. And it's only then that we'll find unity. It's only then that unity will be maintained when we continue to put down ourselves, so that we can meet the needs of others, so that Jesus can bring them into relationship with him. We need to strive for unity, and then we need to go fishing. You ready to go fishing? Fishing, fishing, fishing? That's a Texas way to say fishing. We're going to get fishing poles and catch fish, all right? So let's do that now. Not really metaphorically. John 21 verses 3 through 7. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? Now Jesus knew they didn't have any fish. And Jesus is asking them, hey, frustrated guys that haven't slept all night, you got any fish in that bad boy? That's not real nice, Jesus. <laughs> but that is hilarious. So I think Jesus is funny sometimes. He said to these professional fishermen, not all recreational, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now I'm willing to bet they've already fished off of that side, but I don't know everything. When they did... They were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now, these disciples, they'd seen this before. They're recognizing this is a familiar situation than we've been in before. You see, if you look back at the Gospel of Luke in chapter 5, Jesus calls these disciples to be his disciples, a lot of them, 
in very much the same way. You have the same action. A lot of these disciples in this situation were fishing on a boat all night. You have the same turnout. All night, fishing, no fish. Sounds like most fishing trips I've been on. You have the same words from Jesus. Now throw the net on the other side. But what's different here is the response. You see, in Luke 5, Peter has a response. In John chapter 21, Peter has a different response. In Luke 5, chapter 5, verse 8, Luke, sa- er, Luke writes, Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He realizes the majesty of Jesus. He realizes this miraculous nature of the chosen one. And what does he do? He realizes that he is so much more powerful than him, so much bigger than him. He realizes him for who he truly is. And what does Peter do? He distances himself from Jesus. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I have nothing to do with you. I can have nothing because you are so much greater than me. But now, here we are, John 21, verse 7. Much different response. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, he's the one writing this. So John just wrote, Jesus loves me more than everyone else here. (laughs) Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. What is the difference here? The difference here is that there is hope in Jesus. The difference here is the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Yes, this is his Lord, this is his Savior, but now this is also his friend. Peter swam to Jesus. This is Peter showing that he was undignified. That was not common for this culture. You did not get into a rush. If people saw that you were in a rush, it showed that your affairs were not in order. It showed that your life was not put together. It showed that you did not have a stance of pride about yourself. People did not stoop to the level of hurry. Now, things today, things are completely different. How do you want to know somebody's productivity and their worth in society? You look at their calendar. If they don't have at least 17 things that they need to accomplish every single day, I don't think they're doing a good enough job. Now, I wouldn't say that. I'd say you're going to burn out and you're probably not emotionally or physically healthy. Let's probably slow down a little bit. But as a society, we hold our worth based off of how busy we are. If we don't have a lot of things to do, we must, we must not have that much value. I was dropping my girls off here to Sante Prep the other day. And as I was pulling in, there was a car in front of me, and anywhere between four and 17 kids got out of that van. I don't count after four because it stresses me out, okay? I think I'm going to start cutting it at three. I'm just like, man, these two are loud right here. 27's a bunch. There was a bumper sticker on the back window. It said, messy hair, don't care. That's our lives these days. We got too much going on to take care of ourselves. We got to take care of other people. I've seen another one. It says, Mom Bun, getting it done. Now, I think that's awesome, but I can't relate. (laughs) I'm just, I'm not a mom. 
okay? <laughs> Peter. Peter was willing to lay it all down, to reunite with Jesus, to reunite with his Messiah. When Peter sees Jesus on the shore and he gets the affirmation from the one that Jesus loves, what does he do? He abandons all pride. He goes for Jesus. This means that there was hope in Jesus. This means that Jesus is alive. This means that death is defeated. This means that he died for me and sin is conquered. This means everything Jesus said is true. And now he's not my distant Messiah, who I say, depart from me. Now he's the man who I jump out of the boat for. He's the man that I swim to. He's not just my Savior. This is my friend. And yeah, I've seen him two times before this, but I'm just as excited now as I was the first time, especially now that I know he's not a ghost. We, we can run to Jesus too. Open arms. Reckless, abandoned, laying down pride, our ego, our preferences. We don't have to worry about what other people beside us think. We can run to Jesus. And it doesn't matter where you're coming from. It doesn't matter what you've done. Up until this point in life, it doesn't matter what you did. He knew and he still died for you. He can still put that back together. He can still forgive that. But what I want you to know is when you come into an encounter with Jesus that point moving forward that changes and when you lay that before jesus that's what he can restore john 21 8 through 17 the disciples followed in the boat towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore about a hundred yards when they landed they saw a fire of burning coals there were fish there were with fish on it and some bread now, here things take a visual shift, all right? There is a fire with burning coals. There are fish on it. It's a strange detail for John to take down in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we have to ask ourselves, why is this strange detail there? Where when we look at the Gospel of John, we think about the last fire with coals on it. We go back to John chapter 18, verse 18. This is at the scene of the spiritual crime where Peter denies Jesus. John 18, 18. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also is with them, standing and warming himself. So Jesus is clearly setting the stage here. What is it that Jesus is getting to? Jesus said to them, verse 10, chapter 21, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. That's also different from Luke 5. The net was tearing then. These boys must have gotten them a new net. <laughs> Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now, this was the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So again, we ask ourselves, what is Jesus getting at? There's a lot of other details in this story. Is Jesus getting at something in those? You see Peter, Jesus said, go get the fish. And Peter goes and gets the whole net. 
There's 153 fish in that net. Based on a commentary I read, these are large fish out of the Sea of Galilee. A large fish could be anywhere between 1.5 and 2 pounds. Peter grabbed a net full of fish that was somewhere around 300 pounds. Now, earlier we read that it took multiple disciples to get that net back in the boat. You know what this means? Your boy Peter is yoked, all right? (laughs) Peter went for that net. It didn't say he needed help. It said Peter picked up that net like a man. John Ramboed it all the way back to shore. It's time to eat, boys. That's not what Jesus is saying here. I think it's a cool detail that John put in there. I take it. Jesus isn't just getting it. These guys are hungry. Jesus isn't just getting it. These guys missed him. We do see what Jesus is getting at when we continue. In verse 15, you see the fire with coals and fish on it. Things took a visual shift. But now here in verse 15, things take a conversational, a relational shift between Jesus and Peter. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know what I've done. You know what took place at the last fire. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So why does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him three times? We go back to that same fire with coals on it in John 18. Now in verse 17, the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, referring to Jesus. Are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also with him, standing and warming himself. Fast forward to verse 25, chapter 18. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it again and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, he's looking out for his family. He asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? thinking he'd recognize that sword. He might have seen a little blood on it. He heard about his cousin who got his ear chopped off. Jesus told Peter to put it back on. That got crazy. (laughs) Peter again denied it. And at once, a rooster crowed. I think what we see here is our third and final point this morning is that there is restoration in Jesus. There is restoration in Jesus. Peter is restored. In the same fashion, Peter denied Jesus. With the same fire present, Jesus reinstates Peter. It was three times that Peter denied, and it was three times that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him. In the same way that Jesus identifies Peter's sin, meets him in that sin, takes him back to that sin, and then deals with his sin, Jesus Just in the same way he restores Peter, he wants to restore us. You see, in Jesus, in his death, in his resurrection, the worst of sinners is washed clean. 
the most resolute denier becomes believer. The not good enough become beloved and died for. The orphan receives a family. The abandoned become sons and daughters of the king. And the always picked last become God's chosen people. There are times in my life where God has had to take me back to that fire made of coal over and over and over again. Hey, Alex, this is what you did. This is how it hurt me. This is how it hurt other people. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Well, Alex, this is what he did here. And this is how it impacted our relationship. This is how it impacted your relationship with these people. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Alex, you did it again. And I gave my life so I would forgive you over and over again. This is not who you are. Let's move past this sin. Do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. And what we see with Peter's life, and what I've seen in my life, and what I've seen in so many of your lives, is that when we are restored, restoring comes with repurposing. See, Peter wasn't just left restored. And Jesus said, all right, Peter, you can go. You can deny me again, over and over and over. You see, you fulfilled your purpose. We had three great years together, but it's over now. But Jesus never says that. Jesus restores Peter, and then he puts him on a mission. Peter was given a purpose. Every time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Jesus, yes, I love you. What did Jesus say? He says, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. How will Peter demonstrate his restoration, his repurposedness, his love for Jesus? By loving God and loving people. By feeding them with his word. You see, in Jesus, we are given a purpose. Because we're given a purpose, not just restored, but put on a mission, that means that this is not about us. So let's not make this about us. This is about Jesus. Let's make this about Jesus. Let's not serve ourselves, but with the things and the resources and the time and the energy that God has given to us, let's use those to serve others. This means that we don't build up our own name. It's not about our following. It's not about how, how many likes, how many retweets, how many shares we can get. It's not about how good we can look to other people. Lift up the name of Jesus. Lay yourself down. Lift others up and lift his name up higher and higher and higher. This means we need to stop worshiping our preferences, the way things used to be, the way things we want to see the way they are now, the way we want this to be better, that to be better. I like this style over this style. Lay it down. Worship Jesus. Sacrifice your preferences at the altar of the cross. Prioritize the preferences of others so that they can come to know Jesus and love God's people. Feed them his word. That's exactly why we're here as a church, to reach the community of Asante, 
to reach the communities of Desert Oasis, of Escalante, of North Copper Canyon. Wherever God calls us, we will reach those places. Unified in the hope of Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection, the victory that we live in, in our restoration, but knowing that we have been repurposed to do so. And so how do we do that? We love God's people. We meet any need that they have. That's why God has placed us in this community, to meet the needs of this community, to be the gospel physically in this community so that one day they can hear the good news of Jesus. They can be put in right relationship with God and to feed him his word. Not just to serve and serve alone. Service is great, but service without any word of the gospel is service that sends people straight to hell. That's not what we're about. We want to spend an eternity people who have come to know Jesus, who have been made new, who have been restored, who have trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins and followed him. That's what we want to see time after time after time again. That's why our church is here. That's why God has put us in this area, in this community, in this neighborhood, to be unified out of the hope in Jesus, restored and with purpose. Now I realize I say these things and this is Easter Sunday, there are a lot of people who, church is new to you. You're not really sure about the gospel. You're not really sure about the good news of Jesus. And here's what I want you to know. That God loves you so incredibly much that he gave his one and only son that you could have eternal life. That you could receive the forgiveness of your sins. When you trust in the work of Jesus on the cross, when you ask for him for the forgiveness of your sin, and when you follow him. It's not about some special, magical prayer that you can pray. This is about you following Jesus in repentance and then with your life. Becoming a part of the body, unified with the hope of the cross and the resurrection. Restored. I don't know who you are or what you've done, but I know that Jesus can put you back together. I know because he put me back together. And then you join in on the mission and you bring others to Jesus. If that's you today, if you would like to give your life to Jesus, if you would like to repent of your sin, if you would like to follow Jesus with your whole heart, with your whole life, with every breath and every ounce of your fiber, every thing about you, then let us know. Certainly you can take that up with Jesus and that's who you need to take that up with. But I'm here if you have any questions. Jacob is here if you have any questions. We will be down up front if you want to talk about it today. We will be here after service if you want to talk about it today. If you want to be a little bit more incognito, a little more sneaky about it, you can let us know on your Connect card. You can put that to the table out to the right out here, and we'll be in touch with you. We want to talk to you about what a new life in Jesus looks like. We want you to know that there is new hope. There is new life, true life in Jesus and only in Him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you, Jesus, for your death. That that is where new life began for us. That's where death and sin, flesh and the enemy were conquered. We thank you that we see that in the resurrection. That the grave, that the tomb is empty and you are victorious. Jesus, and because of that, we can be made clean. We can be made new. We can be a part of your family. We can be sons and daughters 
of the King. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would be a church that is unified. But that wouldn't just be a unity that goes away when the wind blows. That's just during hard times. Jesus, I pray that would be a unity that is maintained by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. By us seeking after you. Jesus, continue to give us hope. Whether it's a person in this room today that has never heard the good news of you dying on the cross for their sins, coming back to life on the third day, or whether it's the person who has followed you for over 60 years, Jesus, I pray that you would renew and restore our hope. And as you give us hope, Jesus, that you would restore us, that you would take up the broken, messy pieces of our lives, that you would make us clean. And as you restore us, that you would repurpose us on mission for you to be the church and display the kingdom, to see others come to know you. So now, Jesus, we lay our preferences down. We lay ourselves down, and we worship you, our risen King, our Lord and Savior. Jesus, we pray this in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.